What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Mongols Podcast, sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. I'm Mike. With me is Kev, Josh, and Hounds goalkeeper coach Hunter Gilstrap. Together, we're going to get the scoop on what Hunter is looking for this preseason. We'll talk briefly about some of the players that we haven't heard about and some other news from around the league. Let's go! Can you believe that, guys? No, I mean, that, that is no, one of the craziest sequence of events we've seen in, all, in quite a period of time. In the top right corner, gentlemen. Up to the middle, back to Kerr! Hunter, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Mike. It's good to be here again. So, uh, you know, I got to ask you, it's first day of camp. Who's getting cut? Give us the details. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're not, we're not, we're not going to start there. Um, <laughs> so let's, let's, you know, soccer aside, you had a huge event that happened for you this past fall that I think a lot of us sort of watching um, as fans were really sort of pulling for you for, and uh, you became a father this past fall. So congrats on that. Yeah. How's the family? Appreciate that. I we're doing great. Um, Yeah. I mean, we went through an adoption over the course of most of last year and um, actually had to miss a good chunk of the season uh, to be down in Florida for the birth of our son, Ryan. Um, And I had to stay down there for us. I actually missed about five or six weeks during the course of the end of the season last year. Um, that was kind of hectic and getting back here kind of hectic, but things are now starting to settle and we're we're starting to get in a routine and Ryan is doing great. He's getting big, he's getting, uh, you know, developing, you know, how he's supposed to be developing according to everything the doctors are saying and starting to make some, some funny noises and smile and make eye contact. And it's just, it's really cool. It's really fun being a dad. I, I always remember the first time I brought my oldest son home. There's all of that like build up until you have the kid, and then there's that panic of like, okay, you know, we got to make sure you get everything. And yeah. then you sort of get the baby home, and you just sort of stand there and look at it and go, okay, now what? <laughs> it's either like sleeping or crying, and it's it's very uh, uh, repetitive early on. So it's good making sure. noises yeah. and things like that. Yeah, that's that's the fun part. Yeah, yeah, we're past a lot of the initial sort of rough stuff he's sleeping better um i get i can get five to six hours at, at night now so um that's pretty I've good i've been kind of a heavy sleeper before that but i'm doing okay that's good doing okay my wife's doing okay we do we're, we're sharing a lot of it she's at home with him during the day so when i get home it's, that's when i get my my shift good Good, good. And I mean, we've talked before. I know you're heavily involved with the academy and and coaching kids. Have you, you know, have you experienced now that you have your own child? Does that has that changed how you coach at the academy at all, um, or have you not felt that affect you in any way? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, uh, I haven't really thought about it. To be totally honest, the youngest kids that I deal with are. Uh, with our team structure, the youngest ones I deal with are probably nine or ten. So, okay. you know, I don't know that it's come into play yet. I think I'm kind of it can be kind of hard on our academy kids, and I, I don't know, you know, I don't really know what parenting style we're going to get into when we can actually we we'll actually have to lay down rules and all that kind of <laughs> stuff yet. But um, those worlds haven't really collided yet. Yeah. So, I guess you'll have to get back to me on that one maybe in a that's, couple of years and we'll, we'll see how that's going. That's fair. Is, or, or, or is there, I'd you like, know, 
Go ahead. Yeah, I'd like to think that, that I could just maybe become more, a little more patient maybe on on both fronts. That's always been sort of a thing for me, so. That's fair. Or is there any part of you? Is there any part of you that sort of hopes that uh, you know he grows up and makes his way into the academy? Uh, I don't know. I, I've tried to be. You know, my wife and I talk about. She doesn't come from any kind of soccer background. Um, her family, they're just kind of your general Pittsburgh sports fans, and I'm. I've always sort of felt like you know I want. The idea that I have for my son or daughter or however many we're able to have, I want them to be happy and do what they enjoy doing. So if, if that ends up being that they want to play soccer, then you know we'll help them to try to facilitate that. And But if it ends up being they want to be an artist or they want to be you know, a saxophone player or a, you know, a dancer, whatever it is, you know, that's kind of the way that I want to approach it. So if, if he develops an interest in soccer and – even hopefully not goalkeeping and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll cross that road when we get there. But you know, there's a lot of too much negative, not negative. There's just too much stuff that goes along with this position. That I don't feel like reliving it any more than I have to. Well, let's play in perspective. I was going to say, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. So, you know, the big news, sure. the hounds celebrating their 20th season this year, you've been around for a decent part of that as both player and coach. What was that transition like for you going from being a player on the first team to a coach of the first team? Um, you know, not that, not that difficult or weird really, because, you know, I kind of, the way that would things worked with our old goalkeeper coach, uh, he was he was not a hundred percent around all the time. So there would be, I mean, he was there most of the time, but there would be within a, a month there would probably be, you know, two to four sessions where he was not there, and so, you know, and they'd kind of always been that way, mm-hmm. and he'd have heavier, busier times of the year based on his. Um, you know, he's a men's coach at Point Park and was the women's coach at Point Park for a while. So he'd have conflicts or whatever during those times of year. So during those years when he was still involved, which was, I mean, he was the coach every year that I played, um, I would have to cover and, and plan and run sessions pretty often. And so, you know, it was even kind of in 16 when Zach Steffen came in, it was just, you know, it was kind of cool that I got to have that chance to maybe do coach not I don't want to say coach him but to like train him yeah you know a few times in those days where Yarun was away um because even then you could tell that this kid's going to be something special this is a pretty cool opportunity yeah um even even different than just training alongside of him but uh so I don't know that that sort of led to a, a pretty easy conversation with Dave Brandt then about you know what I wanted to do moving forward and and the plan honestly the plan when I came back in 20 16 from Carolina Railhawks is now in CFC. Mm-hmm. The plan was not to play that 2016 season. Anyway, the plan was just to kind of come back and get plugged in with the Academy. And, mm. you know, through some conversations with then coach Mark Steffens, who sort of figured out a way to talk me into playing one more year and also get started, you know, with the Academy. So, so, you know, that it was a pretty natural transition. One that I kind of had hoped, would be possible. I mean, Urin was obviously the goalkeeping coach then when I came back too, but um, you know, it was able to work out. Yeah, we we joked last season, and it seems like 
the past few seasons, the, there's been some sort of bug that is just the keepers keep getting injured. And we joked, you know, maybe yeah. you're just you're itching to jump back in. You know, is there any little part of you that when we get down to our third string, you're like, just put me in like I, I could do this. Let me go. It's hard because I always feel like probably unrealistically and totally even delusionally, I always feel like I could just th- get thrown in there and, and play and do fine. And, the, and the, the worst part about my brain is that I feel like I could probably do a better job than whoever's playing, <laughs> not knock any of our goalkeepers. That's the right. level. I, I don't know. Arrogance probably that most athletes have, you know, especially the more they get removed from it, the easier it is to say, well, I could outdo that. But yeah, um, I don't know. I don't really miss it. I don't have, I'm, I'm still so involved, I think, on the day-to-day in terms of training. Mm-hmm. You know, there there are days where I have to jump in goal and dive around. Not very often, but there are those days, too. And, you know, I get I get all my boxes checked by being able to kick balls at these goalies, you know, every day. But, so I don't, I don't really miss flying around in there and getting scored on and getting angry and, and all that part of it. <laughs> Speaking of getting angry, so, you know – your boy Dan Lind had the Golden Glove all the way up to the last game of the season. What was that like yeah, think, as his coach? Uh, I mean, I, I, that was during the time where I was away. So I was, I was, I actually was in Florida then for, you know, my son. The stuff that follows the adoption or whatever, you, mm-hmm. you can't leave the state, which is a complicated, long subject that we won't go into. But um, I wasn't there, so I was watching a video and. and you know, I, I, I kind of try to communicate this with these guys, and Dan and I had talked about it at points during the year, but you don't want to get too hung up on, you know, stats and awards and, and stuff because they can become a really a massive distraction. And mm-hmm. not to say that Dan did that. I don't think that he did. But, you know, in sort of our exchanges after that game, you know, he had, he kind of, I didn't even realize it, to be totally honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I just thought that he had kind of locked it off. I didn't know that um, – Evan Newton was even in the in the in contention because he hadn't been playing games for Cincinnati. Yep. You know, most most of the back half of the year Spencer Ritchie was playing, so I kind of he was kind of off my radar. And you know, I'd check in week every couple of weeks just to kind of see because I knew that Dan was doing a good job, and I thought that he would have a good chance at that. But you know, I I, I know that Dan was more frustrated about it. He kind of knew it even after the game. He I think he'd kind of gone into that game saying, "Oh, well, I need to not allow." you know, this goal or this many goals in order to still, you know, win that award. And I don't want to say that's a, you know, sort of one of those self-fulfilling prophecies, but it's just a dangerous headspace to be in. And I don't think that he fell into that by any means, but one of the first things he said to me in our exchange after the game was, oh, I, you know, I kind of won't be able, I I lost that, you know, award. And it was was like the last minute or two, I think maybe even the, the 89th or 90th minute or whatever that they scored and, so I don't know. It was frustrating for me. I, I was gutted for him. He did a really good job, you know, for us. And you know, I thought that would have been kind of a, you know, nice little pat on the back after a, you know, a really done a done a, just a good job all year, working hard and managing games. And, um, but that's, that's why that's why you can't get too you can't fall in love with that. You can't fall in love with the opportunity for stuff like that because. Even a stat like that, like Golden Glove, isn't really a measure of a goalkeeper and his performance. It's a measure of how well your team defends, how many, how few goals you concede. You know what I mean? So, yeah. 
goalkeepers will always win that award. And I think if you ask goalkeepers about that award, they'll say, well, yeah, it's, it's great, but it doesn't really tell too much about the goalkeeper and what he's doing week in and week out. And I think Dan would probably even tell you the same thing. Well, so in, in, you know, this sort of gets into another question that I had as a keeper coach, you know, how much are you focused mm-hmm. on just the keepers versus how much are you focusing on the interaction that they have with the defense as well? Because, you know, you just, as you just mentioned, defense plays a huge role in, in some of those stats yeah. that come out. Yeah. Well, I mean, when my approach to the position is that the goalkeepers have to be heavily involved in organizing the guys in front of them, you know, specifically the back line, but also, you know, pieces in the midfield and higher up the field. But, um, you know, we this time of year we're more sort of focusing on getting the goalkeepers prepared and ready and feeling good, and then you know the next the next sort of level as we start to approach the actual season and competition is you know the tactical side, and that's the biggest part with our goalkeepers the way that we play. And you know, Bob's approach is that they're it's their expectation, it's our expectation that they're able to cover that space in behind, and so it's really important to back line and the goalkeepers are on the same page and that they know that the distances are always there and so the, the, the backs are confident knowing that if something goes over their head that they're not able to deal with it, the goalkeeper will be connected enough to, to deal with it easily I think we're probably one of the few teams that you know this level and this is a, I think it's kind of a dying thing in the pro goalkeeping world unfortunately to have goalkeepers that are aggressive off their lines mm-hmm whether that's cutting out through balls or coming for crosses. And, and that's one of the things that I've loved the most about working with Bob is that we stress that, and that's an, that's an expectation for our guys. And so uh, I think it's a little bit tricky for new keepers when they come in here, but, you know, that also that also relates to the back line because, you know, those guys, you know, they have to have that sort of understanding with the goalkeeper that they hear that he's calling for it and he's going to go for it. You know, there has to be that trust that they're not going to obstruct him, that they, they might need to block guys out or whatever, but also know if the keeper's not able to get it at a good height that they've still got to deal with it and not let it just drop. So yeah, a lot. There's a lot of that, and but we, we aren't really focused on that just yet, but we'll, we'll get there soon. Yeah. How do you – like we, we talked to Bob shortly after the season was over and started to get – just a little bit of insight into sort of the gears that we're turning and sort of how he prepares for the next season as a goalkeeper coach, how do you approach the next season? How do you go about preparing? What sort of things, are there any sort of boxes that you always want to check? It's trying to understand a little bit about, you know, how that all works. Mm, Well, it's kind of, first you have to get the personnel in place Mm -hmm. and, you know, as you guys know, we have one goalkeeper signed right now. So right now we're still trying to get the personnel in place. We want to have, uh, you know, three keepers and we want to have, we want to feel like we've got two guys that are able to play and push each other. And um, like last year we had all three guys played and I think yeah. all of them did a good job. Um, so right now we're still, I mean, that's been the hardest part with this year, honestly, in the off season there hasn't, you could probably ask any coach at our level and they would say it's been a tough year to find goalkeepers. It's been mm-hmm. a tough year to find guys that you're comfortable with I think it's been a bad year for college goalkeepers coming out I think it's been you know not a lot of movement in the free agent market you know because I think everybody wants better and 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 you know I'll go out of my I'm probably a little too outspoken if you ask me when I get talking about the current culture and and goalkeeping but just like I mentioned with Bob kind of a refreshing 
old school mentality about that these guys have to come, they have to make plays. You know, I think there's a lot of that expectation is no longer on on these youth goalkeepers that are developing now in the academy systems and in college soccer. That it's hard to find guys that are able to plug right into the pro level because they don't have that edge and toughness that sort of came along with being able to do those things that we just talked about. So yeah. a lot more goalkeepers want to sit back and kind of let things come to them, play on their line, make saves. And, you know, there's so much focus now on being good with your feet that a lot of the, you know, it's just hard to find guys that you can find that are, you know, able to make big saves at important times and keep their, keep their uh, teams in games. Yeah. No, and, and you mentioned sort of, you know, we had two, really three guys who all took the field. It seems like, in talking to Lily, reading some interviews, that he seems to favor a rotation at times in the net. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's 100% fair or not. How do you how do you approach that? Like, do you sort of get the final say in who gets to start? How, how do you help the guys deal with that mentally? What's that like? Sure. I mean, Bob is... The, he's the head coach and he makes the he's the final decision guy I get to have some impact and influence when, with goalkeeping stuff but at the end of the day he's going to make those decisions uh, I mean he's done this for a long time uh, he's used sort of this model of you know it's not necessarily rotation um, I think it has more to do with what one guy's likely going to show that he's your top performing keeper during preseason or whatever and that's your your number one, your starter, whatever you want to call him. And then, mm-hmm. um, Bob, you know, has less to do with rotating two guys and playing two guys and has more to do with making sure that by the time the season's finished and you're coming to, up on the playoffs and, you know, the important time of year, you need to make sure that not just that first guy is prepared because he could go down at any moment and then you're throwing a guy in that has no, no experience, has never played or hasn't played in a year and, expecting you know to be able to try to make a run in the championship with this guy that hasn't been in the moment in a long time or maybe ever and so you know I think that's sort of where this stuff comes from and Mm -hmm. so it has you know obviously there's a a competition element that you know trying to get both guys sort of performing at an optimal level and getting the most out of each other but um you know, I think the the formula, rough formula, is that your your first guy is going to play most of the time, and the other guy is going to get looks early on, and he's going to get the opportunity to play a couple games. And if he manages those couple games well, then he'll get to play more. Doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean he's going to take over the other guy's job, but you know, if both guy, if two guys can show that they can do the job and manage it, then two guys will will get games and. You know, it's probably not so much that that first guy would feel slighted, but it's also, um, you know, it's, it's different. It's it's unique. I was never in, in a, I was in a couple of years where I did a straight rotation with with Martin Rennie mm-hmm. when I was in in Cleveland, um, and that was different. Um, I think this model makes a little more sense and it's a little more practical. Um, but if you ask most goalkeepers, most traditional soccer fans, they would probably, you know, turn the nose up at it a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, and most goalkeepers complaints with it is that, oh, well, that's going to affect my rhythm. It's going to affect my, you know, consistency, confidence, all these words that pop up. And I think the, the counter argument that you get from us and our staff is, that, you know, so what be tougher than that, be mentally stronger than that you get an opportunity to play, you're paid to play and to do a good job, whether that's 
one game every three or four games or whether that's every week. So um, I think getting we try to take away those opportunities for them to make excuses and hide behind words like, you know, consistency and rhythm and confidence. And But at the end of the day, we know in the back of our heads that that's part of it too. And so um, that's kind of where my job comes in. It's that balance of trying to keep these guys in an optimal headspace while also not sort of uh, indulging, you know, too much of that, I don't know, self-pity maybe is yeah. the right word but but, goal, but goalkeepers are tricky that way they're, yeah. they're they're challenging to manage and i think you know more and more high maintenance more and more i feel like i need this in order to do this and so we try to break all that stuff down in preseason and and i think bob does a really good job of doing that i love it you met you mentioned uh you mentioned toughness and we talked to uh you mentioned the one keeper kyle morton we talked to him uh right after the season was over, really, uh, and it sounded like his rehab was going well. Is there any sort of update? Is he out there training? With, was he out there today with you guys? Yeah, Kyle, Kyle was training. Kyle was cleared, I think, full in the beginning of December, and he was here. He was actually here training with me a few times a week up until Christmas, uh, and then he headed back uh, and stayed in the Philly area where he's from until till now. So, uh yeah, he's fit. He's strong. He, you know, now it's about getting him sharp and ready. And you know, Kyle will be one of those guys that will be, will be competing, you know, to play for us and to play, you know, then sort of that system we talked about of sort of one A, one B, whatever you want to call it, model. Yeah. Um, and I think he'll do a good job based on what we saw last year. But the thing with that is we saw we saw Kyle play in three games and he did a good job. He didn't give up any goals, but you know, he wasn't really tested in those games. So there's still some unknown there and as much as we liked what he did in those games, we, he's still gotta he's gotta perform just like everybody else. Yeah. So I know you've gotta get out of here. I have one last question for you. Um, sure, no problem. What is, from your perspective, you know, you've been through this this organization, downtimes, uptimes, all over the place. As we're going into this season, what is the the biggest difference for you from this year versus previous years? Well, so I think last year there was a huge difference, mm-hmm. obviously with Bob coming in and, and really kind of shaking up the organization at every level on every front kind of tightening things up, you know, if you will, um, from, you know, from last year to this year, I, I think the big difference is obviously we're going into this with, with a pretty solid proven, not necessarily proven in terms of what they accomplished, but I think proven in terms of what we can expect kind of from our core group. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think this is honestly the first year that we're going into this this time of the year saying that, you know, not just saying that the goal is the championship, but actually believing that the goal is the championship because everyone that was involved with the team last year, you know, players, staff, front office, ownership, you know, everyone feels like we really under undershot our potential when, mm-hmm. you know, in that moment, in that, fi- in that shining moment where, we, you know, had the chance to to move on into the second round and then see what happened. We we failed to perform um, and execute in that first round game against Bethlehem Steel. So that left all of us kind of with a big kind of you know sort of empty hole 
inside of us. And, you know, the next step now is, is to be able to not only just to get there, but then to take that next step. And I, and I don't think it would be, I don't think it would be satisfying to say, all right, this year we lost in the second round. Okay. okay. Good job. We moved forward. I don't really think it works that way. I think we showed that we were a top, top tier team last year at being at the top of the league. And then we showed that we could host a playoff game. And the next step is I think to win, win a championship. So, um, and I think that that's, that's a, again, I think that's just something that everyone's really kind of buying into this time and feels real. It doesn't just feel like it's something that you say because you're a pro sports team at the beginning of the season, Oh, the gold championship. It's actually something that we're, we feel right now. So, so that's exciting. That's different. That's, that's something that I don't really feel like was ever, you know, that sort of real belief, mm-hmm. you know, here in and around the club. And that's no one's fault in the past. That's just, you know, we, 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 we now have the framework in place. I feel like to do that. That's, that's fantastic. Um, that's really, really yeah. good stuff. And I, like I said, going in, I know that you were extremely busy. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much for joining us. It's always great to talk to you. We're gonna have to get you back on here, maybe some point during the yeah, season, just to you. touch base. Yeah. Um, thanks yeah, again, Hunter. It. This was great. No problem. You guys take care. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Gentlemen, welcome back. Hello, hello. Sorry we missed you there on the uh, Hunter interview, but uh, we I, I, I got the chance to talk to Hunter a little bit earlier today, um, and so now we're sort of catching up and, and touching on everything else. Um, what's going on? Josh, you went to Hamilton. How was it? Yeah, went to Ohio, uh, visit Liz's dad and mom, and we uh, got a chance to go see Hamilton at the Ohio Theater, and it was pretty awesome. It lives up to the hype. It was a, it already came to Pittsburgh and it has left, but uh, yeah, if you get a chance to see it, it was pretty awesome. Yeah, pretty incredible, Kevin. So now, now I'm the last one. You are of the three that hasn't seen him. Are you gonna see it? Is it coming to anywhere in your neck of the woods? I haven't looked. I mean, I'm not opposed to it by any means. But Dude, make it happen. Every time I hear stories, you know, I, I knew someone from work who's going down to see it in Atlanta, and you know, they said they paid like two fifty. A ticket or something like Jeez. that. Like, yeah, that like, I did. Right. That's why we saw it in Ohio because we essentially got free tickets. So, <laughs> right, yeah. So it's I'm just kind of teetering on the edge of that one right now. But um, that's a tough one. Yeah. Like I like our brother who who lives in New York. He tried to get tickets for uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, and some of those were going yeah, for that's expensive five hundred bucks a pop. And that's like two nights if yeah. I remember right like that's like a double feature it's a double feature it is like you sometimes you go like earlier in the day and then you go home and you come back at night to see the second half of it um, but still like if you're going on a date that's a thousand dollar date and that's just no. to go to the show like that's not even no. dinner it's not like that's a lot now Hamilton at 250 I I mean that's still that's a five hundred dollar date like that's yeah no no <laughs> I, I, to me like if it's above a hundred dollars it's it's out I'm like, yeah. nope, that's not, that's not worth it. Like, it has to be something super special well, to be above $100. And here's the thing, too. Let's face it. Hamilton, we're, we're like, getting into... This is this is our new Broadway show. Uh, Hamilton's <laughs> going to be touring, like, forever. So, like, you can exactly. wait a few years, and the price is going to drop, and you'll still be able to see it, and it's still going to be amazing. And Although, I mean, I, I like Les Mis a lot, and that just came to Knoxville, and tickets were, like, same thing. Too fa- I was like, Les Mis has been around forever. Why are tickets too fast? Yeah, there's a movie for that. Just watch the movie. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. same way i feel about rent I'm like yeah there's a movie i don't have to pay a lot of money to go see that 
Rent Live was slightly disappointing as well. Um, <laughs> I don't have live TV anymore. Oh, I mean, technically, I could have watched it on over the air. Yeah. But I don't even think about live TV anymore. So, I, yeah, I heard it was a... Uh, it was... A, messed up because someone broke a leg and so they had like clips from the pre-taped show i don't know it's weird it was almost entirely taped except for the very last number where i guess like the guy broke his foot during rehearsal and so they did the entire they just filmed everything the night before so i'm like it yeah i'm sure he conveniently broke his foot and somebody's gonna yell at me be like he actually did but yeah i'm sure he did break his foot but the point is what's the point exactly (laughs) i mean i don't understand the whole live broadway shows on television thing anyway like at that point just just show the movie like why even bother i don't know they're different original man signing in yeah there's different mediums and uh, josh i mean we are really going down the rabbit hole we need to like end this i but like i don't see how hamilton could work on tv or like on what we saw or like on a movie like there are so many things that you sort of have to be in the room for that when it happened, is that what you're going to say? In the room when it happened, yeah. Um, it just doesn't <laughs> convert it. well. And so, um, yeah. Okay, we need to move on from this. <sighs> Kev, what's going on with you? Um, I haven't seen Hamilton. but <laughs> We're moving the, on. We're moving on. The memo. The, it's behind yeah. us. No, the, the classic I'm working my way through now is Godfather 2. It's, it's a, that's a two-nighter as well. Um, nice. Usually, usually we do movie nights in, in the week. I was like Riley, I can't, I can't do a three and a half hour movie on a Wednesday night, and so we, uh, yeah, we're splitting that up. But the first half is really good. I'll, I'll let you know what the this second is. Half's this like is your first time seeing Godfather two. Yeah, I so wow. I, I saw we saw we watched Godfather one like a couple weeks ago, um, and it was good enough where I was like, yeah, let's watch, watch, let's watch the second one. It was good enough. Godfather one. Yeah, I guess it's good enough. What? <laughs> it was good. No, no, no. It was good. <laughs> Look, I, I, I've like I never saw Godfather. And previously, I, I saw, like, movies attempting to be, like, gangster movies or whatever. And I was like, I don't think I like this genre. And it's like, oh, no, they're just not doing it right. Like, Godfather was doing it right. And, and everything else just wasn't doing it right. And, yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, it was really good. If I'm honest, Godfather is, like, I would rather watch Goodfellas than Godfather. But I haven't seen that either. Ah, uh, so. Goodfellas, you got to watch that. That's, that's To me, that's more fun. Godfather feels more like you're... You're eating your vegetables, and it's good, and it's hearty, but yeah, Goodfellas is just, that's candy to me. That's so good. Nice. It's terrible. I went to film school, and I haven't seen any of them. I haven't seen Goodfellas. I haven't seen any of the Godfather movies. Like, I need to, and now I'm like. I can see why you're not working in film now. I'm just saying. I know. I know. (laughs) And like, it's not something I'm going to be like, hey, kids, let's sit down and watch The Godfather. Like, I need to get them out of the house. And uh, and enjoy it. So, and that's not something that Susan's necessarily going to be, you know, drawn to. And I'm like, oh, let's watch The Godfather. Let's not. Let's watch something else. So, I need to carve out some time and just watch it on my own. Okay, enough of the small talk. Um, it was really great talking to Hunter. Um, I always enjoy talking to him. He's always very like to the point. He'll tell you exactly how it is. Uh, everybody, make sure that you go follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Hunt Gilstrap. You'll see lots of pictures of him and his adorable son as well, which he talked about uh, during the interview. Really, really great stuff. So one of the things that I thought was was really interesting and something that we'll have to sort of watch develop over the, the course of the preseason is the Hounds really only have the one keeper signed right now, which is Kyle Morton, who we talked to. It sounds great that he's you know healthy again and all of that. And there's only one other keeper that's been invited. Um, I don't know why I emphasize invited to camp, but, you know, uh, um, 
Hunter talked about having sort of, you know, two to three keepers that they'd like to have and finding that sort of 1A, 1B, which he thinks that Morton will be. But um, it sounded like, you know, he wasn't convinced that that was the case. So I don't know how much of that is sort of encouragement for Kyle to come out and bring his A game because it's like we're selling you on like you're not the 1A or 1B yet. Um, Or, you know, what is sort of in store here? Because even Hunter said that he was concerned about the crop of keepers that are available so i i don't know that's i think that's just something that's interesting that i wasn't expecting to hear um that's something that we're gonna have to keep an eye out for all throughout the preseason is what's gonna happen here with this whole keeper situation so yeah but like i said really good stuff talking to hunter really appreciate talking to him especially at the start of camp so we'll see how things break down um guys Camp started today. It was a balmy 60-some degrees out. It was probably a little bit warmer in the sun down on Highmark's Field. So great day to start it off. Uh, Josh, you mentioned right before we jumped on here, the Hounds have started doing daily camp coverage. Uh, they have a blog over at riverhounds.com, so you can go check that out. Lots of pictures of the guys. Joe Greenspan is a full beard, almost looks like a fro, which is pretty impressive. Um, but it's great to see the guys out there. 13 guys under contract, 14 are invites. You know, when you sort of look at the list of invites, um, there's really only two players that have former USL experience. Uh, One guy who played, I think, 90 minutes for Timbers 2, and you had a former keeper for Sporting KC. Um, Otherwise, everybody else is straight out of college. So are you at all concerned about that, Josh? How are you feeling about this This crop yeah i mean they're they're trialists and they're trying to prove their worth and obviously they did enough to get this far and so i uh, got feeling that most of these guys aren't going to be you know starting or at least you know as far as we know uh these aren't the starters these are more of the depth that we need to have on the team but you never know this is i mean i'm thinking back to last preseason and tommy v was a late addition to the trialists and he blew everyone away and i i also think that's something else to keep in mind is that just because these are the trialists right now they're not going to be the trialists that we only the only trialists we get uh there's gonna be names that get added to this list there's gonna be names that are gonna be dropped from this list so this is just the beginning it is kind of weird to see so many college and that's pretty much it but that's I guess the word's not weird. It's a little bit concerning because you, you, we know we have depth that we need to have up front and that kind of stuff. So it's kind of like, oh boy, where are these guys at? Keep in mind that, uh, let me see, one, two, three, four, five of these guys are forwards. So maybe it does come from these players. Yeah. Kev, what do you think? You you, you cool with this? Yeah, no, I, I, think, I think my guess is Lily probably looks at the players that he brought back from last year, you know, with the nine or so players that he brought back last year, along with the players that he signed preseason um, or, or pre preseason camp, if that makes sense. Um, those are the players. That's the pool of players he's going to look for, for the kind of stardust technique, I think, you know, like as far as having the vision, playing the right pass and all that kind of stuff. Now, I'm sure he's he's still going to want to pull out a couple of those people from the preseason poll, um, but I would also venture a guess that most of these guys are. I mean, it's 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 squad depth, and it's you know in a system like Lily, attributes like 
determination and work rate and teamwork and all that kind of stuff matter. And so, and, and I think at, at a, a younger level, you know, as a player trying to apply your trade in the U.S. system, um, you know, that's fine at, at this stage. So, yeah, no, and, and I think every squad needs those types of players. You don't, you don't need, you know, 11 technicians on the field at all times. So I, I, think, I think it's fine. And, and um, like Josh, I'm, I'm still expecting to see us grab from a wider pool, not just the ones that we see at Highmark at the moment. Um, so, no, I, I, think it's, I think it's fine. And we were talking a little bit off air. I'm pretty sure that like Hugh wasn't added to the trialist roster until like two or three weeks in last year. I want to say he wasn't around for the whole time. So Hugh Roberts, yeah, Hugh yeah. Roberts. So I think that you know there is the opportunity to grab a couple people. Um, I I don't think Ben Zemanski was on the list the full time either, but I could be wrong there. Yeah, I don't think he was. So you know you never know what's going to happen. Lily talked about sort of waiting and seeing what shakes out from MLS, and uh, and so we'll see. Um, but the Hounds do have two games coming up this week. Two games. We got a Friday game against Cleveland State University. Um, that is going to be at Highmark Stadium Friday, February 8th. And then on Sunday, February 10th, we play Gannon, which do we know? Where, where is Gannon at? Do we get, yeah. <laughs> you just want to get more tweets, don't do. you? You just I, want more tweets from away. It's right. PA, guys. Come on. Yeah. That game on Friday is at 7 p.m. The game on Sunday is at 1 p.m. So we're going to have a lot more information on our next show about sort of what happened. And we talked about, you know, the preseason games don't really matter. And, like, you don't really need to look at the score very closely because Lily's looking at a bunch of different things that are not always playing the same lineup and things like that. I think the most important thing to look out for is make sure that guys aren't getting hurt. So, like, you know, a lot of the returning guys, you want to make sure that they're staying healthy and that they're, you know, getting some minutes and um and just getting out there and so we'll obviously keep an eye on it the hounds have that blog where i'm sure they're gonna be putting up pictures and videos and and all of that stuff so you can check that out too um but uh yeah it's gonna be great back we're, we're back man like preseasons today let's do yeah. this it's exciting <sighs> so lots of other stuff going on um lots of buzz all around the u.s soccer scene the biggest thing right now at least in terms of the usl is uh is what's going on with nashville um josh you want to give us a little bit of background what's going on in nashville why is everybody up and up in arms in nashville (laughs) uh it's kind of a repeat uh a little bit of a repeat this one's almost the opposite though of what happened with cincy last year with uh their shenanigans with us or with uh mls and interfering with the usl season so we got a little bit more shenanigans going on this time though it's the opposite because Nashville tried to sign a player, Andrew uh, Gutman. Uh, he was on loan from uh, Celtic FC, and uh, they pretty much said no. MLS did. MLS interfered with it. They were like, hey, uh, actually, technically, he had a homegrown player rights with Chicago, so Chicago gets first bid or dibs on him, and you guys hopscotched over to Chicago, so we don't approve this loan. And Nashville backed down. They're like, okay, yeah, even though. This has nothing to do with MLS at all. I guess MLS is saying, hey, this is just more of him coming to America, and you're in contract with us. So you have to abide by the contract and say that uh, Chicago gets first dibs on him, uh, which is uh, so annoying. I don't know. It's it's so messed up. I, this is all gray area, and it needs to be cleared up. And I just feel like the fact that Nashville actually did think this was going to go through 
and then we're told at the last minute that, hey, you can't do this, shows that even the people inside the room, the people who are making the decisions don't know what is okay and what is not okay. Because you, you got to imagine what happened was everything was okay, no big deal. And then Chicago probably piped up and said, actually, no, this is not fair to us. And so MLS interfered then, talked to Nashville. And it just sounds so petty and so stupid. It's like, this guy was going to go to Chicago. This guy was going to Nashville. Let him play Nashville. I don't see what the big deal is. This is utterly ridiculous. I mean, look, if if Chicago have his MLS rights then great. Sign him in Chicago. Like, it, whatever. That's fine. But right now, Nashville's playing in the USL. So regardless, what they could say is, okay, he can play in Nashville this year, but once you move up, then you can't sign him unless Chicago passes on him. Fine. But this is the second instance in, what, like eight months that we've seen of MLS basically going to USL and saying like, or not even saying you can't do, no, you can't do that. That's right. Because the first situation was Cincinnati um, trying to sign, now I'm blanking on the defender's name, um, U.S. national team defender. And they said, no, you can't do that, Cincy, because he's on the the player list for MLS and we don't want you taking him before you get to MLS. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Um, So, yeah, I mean, this is is the second time that MLS has basically just told USL, like, no, you can't do that to teams that aren't playing in MLS. Um, it's just, it's ridiculous and it needs to stop it. Having him here would, uh, you know, ideally boost Nashville even more, which boosts the stature of USL even more. And instead MLS is crying because they, they aren't signing a player that who knows if Chicago would even want to sign in the first place. And it's just, I'm sick of it. It's, it's ridiculous. So, Kev, how do you feel about this? Yeah, no, it, it doesn't. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think when you allow, I mean, this is going to sound very like economic and free market and all that kind of stuff. But like, I feel like when you allow players and transfers and team negotiations to occur freely from country to country, from league to league, from tier to tier. I think things just work out better. This is just, it's a weird power play. I don't think it's healthy for for the for the U.S. soccer system. I mean, and what what happens now to the player? Like, you know, obviously Celtic want, want him to get game time. He was going to get game time in Nashville. I don't know... If, if this has been discussed, I don't know. It, it's very... It probably has been, and I've completely missed it, but... Like yeah, is he staying at Celtic now? Are they going to try to look to loan him off somewhere else and all that kind of stuff? Which in the end hurts the player development, which in the end hurts the potential move to the U.S. Soccer. I mean, so it, it yeah, it, it is frustrating. I don't get it, and and you know you can kind of take us on a word for this because <laughs> if he does move, that means it's harder for the Hounds to do better this season, and we want to see it happen. So yeah, it's it was it's just it's an unfortunate situation for sure so dumb it gets me so mad <laughs> like you have no idea it's just why like why and and usl is just like yeah okay sure like uh, yeah usl is silent on the situation nashville had a say in it but then again this is one of those situations where i feel like usl as a league is a little bit more hands-off team to team they're not the ones calling the shots unlike in mls where it's single entity so everyone seems to every 
press release and all this kind of stuff funnels through MLS uh, front office. Where in USL, it's a little bit more like, hey, that's Nashville's situation. Talk to Nashville. What's going on with them? Um, I mean, there's pros and cons to that. It would be kind of nice if USL came out and be like, hey, you know, stop meddling with our, you know, our league. This is he Nashville's with us right now. You can dictate what they do next year when they're with you. But unfortunately, I got a feeling with MLS having USS f behind them it would probably come down to them telling you know big brother ussf and being like hey they're cheating and making a stop which is not true but it also makes me think like what is the goal of usl and usl as a business and this is this is sort of the opposite of the situation that we talked about with the other Cincy issue, where Cincy was using Tam and Gam from MLS to buy players that they can be used in USL. And we said USL was questionably silent on that as well. And we said from a business perspective, this actually helps USL because now you have bigger names in the league that can hopefully sell more seats and increase the play level and all of that. So it makes sense for USL to not be as vocal in a situation where you have better players coming into the league to help boost the stature of the league. This is that exact case where you have somebody theoretically coming in from Celtic that they're trying to come into Nashville and play. And you would think if MLS is, is uh, their reaction is we want to have the best players in the league to boost the stature of it then they would fight for that. But this is a case where they're now taking the opposite tack. We're just like, eh, okay, all right, yeah, MLS, you win, sure. I just, I can't wait for the day when this is like, it's no longer an issue. And I don't know if we'll ever get to that day, but it's just like, <laughs> it's ridiculous. This is interesting, though, because it does kind of make me, you know, everyone in USL, at least the fandom, it feels like, kind of wants their team to move up to MLS. And and there's some days where I felt that way, where it would be cool to play in the top league in the United States because you want to compete in the top league. It just makes sense. But on days like today, and seeing this this trash of a, you know, decision and just the meddling and infighting and it's just stupid, um, makes me kind of like, you know what, I'm glad we have no ties to MLS. I'm glad that we're playing in a league that's a little bit more open. And yeah, it sucks in this situation what happened, but at least we're a little bit more autonomous and we have more say and I don't know, it's just it's, it's annoying to see this happen. And well, I mean, it makes me not want to play in MLS. And following up on that point, I mean, I wonder, I'd love to know what's going on in the head of like Celtics sporting director right now like like do you think now in the future they'll think twice of just even trying to deal with like US based teams like they're like this is ridiculous this is stupid why can't this happen you know screw it we'll find somewhere else uh, like and and I'm curious I mean I think we might get onto it in a bit but even with the sale of um I can never pronounce his name Almiron Almiron that's pathetic um from from Atlanta to Newcastle you know, Mike, you were talking off air, like you wonder where that money goes in the MLS system and all that kind of stuff. I, I'm wondering how easy it was Newcastle to deal with Atlanta and the and the purchase of this player and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. I, I just, I want it, it should be easy to interact with the U.S. soccer market. Obviously, we've seen tons of examples in the past of people doing that. So you would think it's, it's, it's not that much more difficult. Otherwise, we would see a virtual shutdown of it. But um but yeah, I don't know. You, you, you want to you wanna encourage teams to continue to look towards our market of player development and our league and all that kind of stuff. You want you want to make it easy for them. And, and right now, it's just 
with this whole debacle, it doesn't seem like that's the case. I, I, I'm probably over, I, my language is probably overreacting a lot right here. Um, but still, I, I think even even in the presence of small problems, I mean, you, know, you, you do your best to try to make it a most perfect situation. And right now it's just not that. Well, your point about like the sale of Almiron. So he from Newcastle bought him from Atlanta for twenty-seven million dollars. Uh, Atlanta initially paid eight million for him in two thousand sixteen. So that's a that's a good return of investment. That's the kind of thing that you have these sorts of leagues you want to see more of, where you take a player, you buy him for a little bit, you sell him for a lot. My question off air about where that money goes. In most other systems, when that happens, the money goes back to the team or it goes back to the owners and they turn around and they reinvest it in the team in a lot of cases where you'll then use that money to buy additional players and things like that. MLS has a salary cap. MLS owners don't technically own their team. They rent them from MLS and the player themselves is owned by MLS as well. So when it says that, you know, Atlanta or Newcastle pays $27 million for Almiron, my question is, is where does that money go? go does that money go to mls does that money go to atlanta because atlanta can only spend so much of that on their team because they have a salary cap so what actually happens there i think from newcastle's perspective they probably don't care as much it's like well we pay this much for this player and that's how much we get it for and that's great but where it gets like yeah. uh, where it gets is what happens in the mls newcastle probably dealt with mls reps first almost well not maybe not first but when it comes to the actual contract details my guess is there was more MLS guys sitting in the room than Atlanta United guys sitting in the room, yeah. which is just weird. It is weird. It's it's. I mean, we're hearing about a whole bunch of players, or we're actually seeing it, um, from the U.S. going to other leagues because they're a lot cheaper than other players in other countries. So I got a feeling we're not going to see a decrease in that because getting players for cheap is great business for all these other leagues. So they're going to keep on doing that. My worry is getting players in from other leagues to the U.S. should not be this hard. It should not take this much finagling and, and just silliness to get a player from a different league into the United States somehow. Like, this whole who has rights and blah, blah, blah is stupid. It's just causing more issues than solving at this point. Josh, you mentioned how, you know, at one point you sort of thought it'd be nice to go to MLS. I think we all sort of have. And over the past few years, I've come around to being like, no. Like, I don't I don't want to deal with that system where, like, oh, you want a player? Okay, you're on the waiting list. This is who's before you so they can get them. Like, no. Like, you want a player, you sign the player. And that's it. So part of me hopes that, you know, the USL just sort of keeps on the trajectory it's on. It's slow and steady building. Eventually, all of the teams in the championship have stadiums that hold 20, 30,000 people. And it's just a great experience. And you get to see a lot of great soccer. And, like, that's it. And you can you could buy whatever players you want. You could sell whatever players you want. You could have the situation like Francois where you're able to sell them for a profit this year, which was super. Um, and it just keeps growing that Is- way. Is that how other U.S. soccer, U.S. soccer, um, U.S. sports systems are like MLB, NHL, NFL? Is it is it the same structure as the MLS? I mean, I know there's salary caps in place. I mean, the, the difference is in other leagues in the United States, there's not as much of a need for international. Right. Like there's not leagues in other countries that are so big that it matters. Like NFL is the NFL. There's no other league like the NFL in any other country that's competing with the NFL. Right. Unlike soccer where we have, you know, all these other leagues and all these other countries that are huge and making great money and and developing great players. You just don't really see that. I guess you see it in baseball now a little bit with like 
the other countries, but even that's not very much. So it's it's really it's not a non-issue in other countries, uh, in other leagues because of the fact that there's just not as much of international, you know, uh, interest in uh, competition. Yeah, it's a mess. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm looking right now at um, the record signings like involved with the MLS and like MLS history or whatever. So yeah, like Almiron goes to Newcastle for 24 million euro. Um, he came from uh, the Argentinian um, Premier Division. Um, you have second and third on that list is Atlanta buying from the Argentinian Premier Division. Um, something kind of went out of the way. I, I've never heard of this player. I didn't hear about this transfer Alfonso uh, Davis from Vancouver. He's an 18-year-old left winger. Bayern Munich just picked him up for 10 million. Um, but outside of Davis and Almiron, um, the MLS largely in transfer history, the MLS's biggest purchases are coming from Argentina. They're they're buying Argentinian players, mm-hmm. and then you get outliers of Michael Bradley and Jermaine Defoe. You know, players that have already kind of applied their trade and are coming back to the MLS from like a Spurs or whatever. And, and relatively those are, it's like 7 million uh, euro that these, these players are coming back for. So yeah, I mean, it is a lot of the, a lot of the players involved in MLS's biggest transfers. A lot of them are coming from, yeah, Argentinian uh, Premier divisions. And, uh, and then if, if not there, or, and then there's, uh, there's, there's some players coming from the uh, Mexican top division as well. Um, but outside of that, yeah, it, it's players coming back to the MLS from from and not the twilight of the careers, but after they've already established themselves. Yeah, yeah, they're saying you know a lot of the articles are saying that the, the biggest winner for all of this. Well, first of all, they say that this is going to like open the floodgates for other uh, countries to start buying from the MLS. I don't think that's the case. I think you're still going to see a slow increase, but they're saying the biggest message is for South American players to say, look, MLS is a viable market for you to get a foothold and get noticed, and then you can go elsewhere from there. So you might see more of an influx of South American players, but um, it, it'll just be something to keep an eye on. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting. <sighs> a lot of stuff happening. Um, speaking of a lot of stuff happening, Josh, you guys got the... Uh, the Steel Army AGM. Yeah, AGM. Yeah. On Sunday. I'm looking forward to it. It's actually going to be happening on Sunday. It's like an hour before kickoff of the, the game against Gannon. So come check that out. Uh, we're going to have kind of like a presentation about what we plan on doing this season, what we have to offer as far as merch and, and other things, events, uh, expanding a lot of those areas and coming up with new ideas. And it's uh, time for your voice dolls to be heard about that. So you can ask questions and, and pitch ideas. Um, if you were already a member or currently are a member, uh, you can pick up your membership packages that night as well. So uh, we have all the merchants, we have the scarves in and the membership cards and all that. And you can pick those up as well there. And we're also going to have some voting going on for uh, the member representatives. There's two positions open every year for uh, member representatives. So we have a couple of different candidates. Don't know if we're going to have them talk at all before you vote for them, but you kind of talk to them, see which ones you like, and uh, vote for them if you are a member and uh, see who you want your representatives to be this year. Josh, are you in the hot seat this year? Or are you not? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, member <laughs> representatives are more like uh, 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 people 
go to the games and that it's, it's Jess would be a good one. Um, and yeah, he's a uh, reapplying for this year. So good luck to him as well. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah. And you don't have to be a steel army member to go, right? You can go and no, sign up not to go. Yeah. yeah. But you can't vote unless you're a steel army member. Yeah. And it's a good time to pick up your membership or pay for a membership and pick it up because we'll have extra packages there as well. So yeah, that's awesome. Really cool stuff. We're looking forward to, I mean, we'll talk about that on the next show. We'll talk about these two games in the next show. We might have somebody else to talk to, to on the next show. We shall see. Um, so yeah, a lot going on. You mentioned merch. One little side thing. Uh, people have been asking about Mongols merch as well. Um, if you go to bgn.fm and click on the Riverhounds link, that will take you to a new Riverhounds page where you'll find sort of all the stuff that we put out. Anything that's written at BGN about the Riverhounds will be there as well. We have a schedule up there now. Um, there's a whole other section just about the USL Eastern Conference, so just specifically what's going on in our conference. There's news there as well. Um, there's now a link there that has stuff that'll take you to, to check out some Mongols merch. Um, yeah, there's not a lot there, but there's still some fun stuff, so if you're interested, you can go check Ooh. it out. I'm not pushing anybody there but you've asked for it so it's there guys anything else for this one sorry mike you froze there for a second um <laughs> uh josh i'm trying to uh put myself in the shoes of a of a new listener i know i'm kind of putting you on the spot here but can you do a quick pitch on like what being a member of the steel army like does and get you and why you should do it and why everyone should do it yeah definitely so uh first off the membership is 25 dollars. you get a membership scarf which every year we have a new scarf that comes out uh with the year on it and the steel army logo and all that kind of stuff uh you also get a membership card which gives you 10 percent off at piper's pub uh as well as the chip shop um and you get i believe it's 15 percent off at the segway tour uh booth now uh because of Jesse, actually. Uh, so <laughs> you get 15% off there as well for tours of Pittsburgh on Segways. Um, you will also get a chance to vote for stuff like we were just talking about with the membership representatives uh, and other things like that. Uh, you don't have to be a member to hang out at the tailgates, you know, uh, or sit in our section. Well, I should say stand in our section. Um, but, it, you know, if you want to help out with helping us get uh, supplies for TIFO or helping us uh, get uh, money together to do away trips or all that kind of stuff. All, all the, the party stuff we throw, um, the food we have at the tailgates, that all helps us. So it's it's not really a, a thing you have to do to, to join us at tailgate, but it is appreciated. And there's also merch that we always sell at tailgates as well. So if you don't want to make a full-on commitment to a membership, you can always buy a, uh, a regular bar scarf and that kind of stuff or shirts and what else, whatever else we have now, which will be announced at the AGM. So there you go. There's the elevator pitch. Thank you, Josh. Um, no problem. I made the mistake of waiting until literally the last game of the season last year before I actually paid my dues and got my scarf. So I'll have to do that earlier <laughs> this year for sure. Um, so yeah i think that's it for this one guys like i said there's a lot going on i'm sure we have a lot more to talk about uh next time um again huge thanks to hunter for stopping by and thanks to our sponsors roughneck scarves official scarf supplier to mls uso and us soccer gets custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com if you're looking for more great riverhounds news head over to bgn.fm like i mentioned click on the hounds logo there's that whole new page there you can follow us on twitter at mongols and at will mongols email us at mongols at bgn.fm head over to itunes subscribe to the show and leave us a review otherwise let us know what you thought about this one thanks everybody we'll talk to you very very soon cheers later <laughs>